is my favorite part of the sermon, uh, the message each week, is, is having people share their stories. So this year we've been going through a, a book called The Story. And this has been your weekly reading, but it's also meant to get you to read this, right? So this never replaces this, but we're finding that this really brings this to light in an even different way. And so we're learning about God's upper story and and the big picture plan of salvation and how he's working to redeem us all back to himself and save us all. Um, But in the middle of that, we have our lower story, which is the messy people part, right? There's God and then there's people. And in the middle of the lower story is, is my story. So it's really interesting. In, in, in school, my girls are learning where they fit on the historical timeline. And they do. History isn't just like then. It's like being made now. And it's the same thing with God and his story. So this week, because of Ice Storm 2018, we have two stories we're going to hear. So the first one is going to be from Tracy Stewart. Let's give her some applause as she comes on up. These lights, they're bright, aren't they? I've been really excited to hear everybody's testimony. It's great to see the things that God's been doing in everybody's lives. Now, some testimonies are like a diehard movie with Bruce Willis. Others are more like Mary Poppins. Mine was, mine's kind of in between. When I was a baby Christian, I always thought that my testimony was boring and not really worth sharing. But that's not true. Every testimony is important. Not everyone's like Pastor Glenn where he went through all these large changes, but everyone's testimony is important. Those of who, who don't know me, I'm from Australia, okay? And the, one of the biggest questions people ask me is, why did you come from sunny Queensland beaches to Madison, Wisconsin? Well, it was all Mark's fault. Mark the Crusher Usher. Because he had a prayer list for the perfect wife. And his list was so long that God searched 20 million odd eligible American women and couldn't find one suitable. So he had to come all the way over to Australia to pick me. And the miracle is I had said one time, I will never go to America, not even on vacation. So never say never to God because he has a sense of humor. I believe that God's plan for our story is like a road map or a GPS. Throughout our lives, we're on a journey. Sometimes the roads are bumpy. Sometimes they're smooth traveling. But we're all on a journey. God took me on a journey to bring me to to America, and that's the part of my testimony I'm going to share with you. I grew up in an average home in Australia. I had good parents. They worked hard. They loved me. But the one thing that was missing was God was God. They weren't believers. And I knew even from a young child that God was the missing part of my life. Looking back, I can see he posted lots of road signs for me and drew me and gave me opportunities to learn about him. A camp that I went on when I was a kid, a Christian camp, seeing God's creation and how awesome it is. And um, going to church a couple of times when I was an adult, but I felt uncomfortable because I was still living at home and I didn't want to offend my parents. So I didn't really get in the The biggest road sign, I believe, is when I received my transfer papers in Australia from teaching, and I was sent to teach in Outback, Australia. Um, uh, Not all parts of our journey are fun, and throughout my my life, um, I was sent for three years in Mount Isa. Mount Isa is a mining town in the middle of nowhere. It's 110 in the shade. The housing I was living in had no air conditioning. It was 2,000 miles away from my family. I had never lived that far away from home. I was depressed. I was miserable. I called my mom almost every day crying and wanting to come home. Um, To cut a long story short, uh, two and a half years later, I was in an even bigger mess. I was trying to get out of a really bad relationship, and I, I was just depressed, miserable, and I just wanted to leave and go home. That's when God sent Megan to me. Megan was, um, ended up being my, my roommate. She was a Christian pastor's kid, and she had been praying for me even before she knew me. She told me she didn't know who she was going to live with, so she started praying for the people she lived with. 
One Sunday morning, it was September 6, 1998, I came out, I was miserable, a mess, and she was dressed, ready to go to church, and I looked at her and I said, hey, Megan, I should come with you, and she said, I'm not moving until you go get dressed. So I quickly went and got dressed, went to church, I enjoyed the service, the, the, the music, the worship, and then the pastor started preaching. And I looked at her and I'm like, you told him everything, didn't you? She hadn't said a word, but God knew everything, and God was speaking to me through that pastor. And it was like I was broken, you know. Everything unraveled and bawling, blithering mess. I went to the front for the altar call and gave my heart to Jesus. Um, Those things, looking back, you can see that God was preparing me. Um, He was preparing me, unfolding things for me, planning things for me, because if I hadn't have gone through that, living 2,000 miles away from my family and gone through all that experience, there's no way I would have ever been able to come here 5,000 miles away from my family, a 24-hour-plus trip to come and live in the United States where the only person I knew was my husband who I met on the Internet. So God is a miracle worker, and he has a plan and purpose for us, and all the things we go through for our journey are part of the big picture. My backstory prepared me for my now story, and I encourage you guys, even if you don't plan to come up here and, and share your story, that you look at it, you write it down, and you look at all the milestones and the things that have happened in your life to lead you to where you are now. Wow. Thank you, Tracy. She just preached part of the sermon, just so you know. It's so good. Thank you. Frankie, come on up. Frankie Durham is our second story of the day. Let's clap for her, too. Thank you. There's a timer going up here for those who don't know. Um, so That's for no, me. It's no more pressure. for me than you. <laughs> um, so uh, my name is Frankie, as, as uh, was already stated, and I'm married to Daniel in the back there. Um, and I, we've actually been coming to Metro Believers now for going on three years, which is kind of crazy. Um, but so, uh, my story, I'm going to start with where I began as well. Um, I grew up in Evansville, Wisconsin, and I'm one of three kids. So I was the middle child. Um, we grew up going to a small town Lutheran church. Um, we went religiously, pun intended. Um, and we, I mean, you know, I was involved in Bible school. I went to Bible camp in the summer. I really had every opportunity to have a relationship with God, but I honestly didn't. Um, I remember thinking that God was like, okay, and I could maybe see him being real, maybe. Um, but the concept of Jesus was like beyond puzzling to me, and I really didn't understand why someone at that point in time, me, um, would need Jesus as a savior. Because honestly, like I was pretty good, you know, like I, I got good grades. I followed my parents. I didn't disobey directly most of the time until I was defiant. Um, but like, honestly, I grew up believing that I was pretty okay. Right. Um, however, uh, I didn't struggle with pride at all. Um, however, the summer before my senior year of high school, um, that's kind of what, where I would say like the, the change happened or the initial fall for me happened. Um, and, and what happened was I developed an eating disorder. So I began restricting my food. I began experiencing control issues, uh, exhibiting a lot of anger, exhibiting a lot of pride that I was kind of hiding beneath this facade of like, oh, well, if I just do things good enough, then that means I'm not prideful, right? I'm just really amazing. Um, However, my facade of being that perfect everything was essentially falling apart, right? I couldn't keep it all together. I couldn't, I couldn't successfully live life when I wasn't feeding my body. So I, I basically started breaking down. Um, and then the summer after my high school senior year wrapped up, I moved three days after graduation to Chicago. Um, I lived there with a family friend, and I moved in, and I remember the week I moved there, 
I realized I was actually struggling with an eating disorder, and I kind of realized that that was the tip of my iceberg, right? That I had a bunch of other really messy and ugly things that were happening underneath the surface that this, this eating disorder was kind of preventing me from dealing with. And still at that point in time, it really was just me. There wasn't really God involved. Um, but I was running one morning a couple months after I moved down to Chicago and started getting some help from a counselor. And I remember I like ran every day pretty much, even, even in trying to figure out how to take care of my body. That was kind of like my, my free space. And I remember I was running and I could not move. I could not get like more than two blocks away from my apartment at the time. And I ran every day. There, should, there was no reason. It wasn't like super humid out or anything. And all of a sudden, I heard something tell me, go home, shower, get dressed, and go to church. And I was like, oh, that's weird. So I kept going, right? Clearly didn't listen. Couldn't get more than a couple blocks away still. Heard it again the second time, go home, shower, get dressed, go to church. I was like, all right, well, I will. So I went home, I showered, got dressed, went to church. I had to find a church to go to, of course, and in downtown Chicago, there's primarily Catholic churches. I figured I wasn't that, so I'd try something else. Um, and I ended up in Episcopalian church, and there was a visiting female preacher that morning, and she you know, we did the cert, like beginning things and songs, and then she stood up there and she told us what the title of her sermon was. And it was, when we come to the table, what are we really hungry for? And I sat in the back row of that church, hoping no one was watching me just completely break down. And as the sermon continued to unravel, she started talking about how as Christians, we should be hungering more for God than for the ways of this world, or for control, or for the sake of portraying perfection, or whatever it might be. So it literally broke me apart. I walked away from that and did not get prayer, <laughs> but I did, have, I did have some friends that I knew I could reach out to, and that was really the beginning of my journey with God. Um, and I wish I could say that that's where everything kind of changed and then all of a sudden everything was perfect, right? Because that's like what living with Jesus is. Um, but it, it wasn't. I, I continued kind of from that point of just before I turned 19 until really, I mean, still somewhat today, um, continued kind of experiencing pendulum swings and going from one extreme to another. You know, I went from restricting my food to controlling how much food I was then forcing myself to eat, or I went from having social anxiety to try and control my social anxiety with alcohol, or I went from, um, you know, being not God to being 100% God, and that was the only thing I could possibly talk about, which is great, but also not awesome when you have to, like, go to college and stuff, right? So I think one of the biggest things for me that God continued to gently teach me throughout that time period of my life was a reliance on him grace and patience for myself to work through all of those extremes that I continued to put myself through and to not live in the past, but to be able to honestly acknowledge what happened and allow him to work on that in me. And I think also one of the biggest things I learned and continue to learn was forgiveness, not only for those who had harmed me, but also for myself and for the decisions that I had made. Um, and just a couple of verses that come to mind, and these were very important for me at that time. For it is by faith that you have been saved, by grace, not by works, so that none of you may boast. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I wish I could also say I'm done, right? I'm not. Um, that's like the first two-thirds, we'll call it. Um, so when I, when I mentioned that like initial fall, that, that tip of the iceberg and kind of how my eating disorder prevented me from dealing with anything else in my life, um, that's largely due to the fact that my life from the age of four, uh, honestly, to the age of 22, 21, 21, um, has been riddled with sexual abuse uh, and shame. And I lived as two distinct people for many years. I lived as someone who felt 
ashamed and, and, and dirtied, and I lived as someone who portrayed perfection, right? And put forth this concept of someone who was confident and someone who had it all together. Um, but honestly, I was broken. I was hurt. I had been wounded by several people and by myself. And I'd allowed myself to stay hidden um, and, and honestly suffer from some sense of PTSD where I had really separated the fact that that even happened to me um, for years. I mean, from 4 to 14, from 18 to 21, there were years of my life marked by that. And I really believed there was a part of me, once I kind of started coming to terms with the fact that that really had happened to me, um, not just once, but for years, uh, that, that I really couldn't ever come back from that, that I couldn't know intimacy, that I couldn't, that I couldn't know love, right? But I'm not actually crying. I'm just almost crying. Um, but I, <laughs> then I met Jesus, and that has been the most beautiful and biggest struggle of my relationship with Christ has been coming to know the heart and love of Jesus. So, still not crying, but just almost. Um, so, um, it really, really took me years now, from the age eight of 18 onward, to really connect that head and heart understanding of the fact that Jesus actually does love me and all of us exactly as I was loved me through that time period, loved me through my choices, and exactly as I am today, right? And he didn't allow those things to happen to me. Evil happens. He prayed for me. He walked alongside me, waiting to catch me. He never stopped pursuing a relationship with me. We heard that today in worship, right? And after all, we, we serve a relational God, so he was continuing to come after me. And he's also continued to teach me the power of being okay with not being okay. Um, and there's power and freedom in acknowledging that and having honesty in that as well. And when we try to kind of like consistently pull ourselves together and squeeze ourselves into what we think is the perfect image of what we should be, we miss out on the blessing of God and we miss out on giving God grace and, and honor and just complete acknowledgement for the fact that he is the one who's put us back together. Right? So why, why not share what we've experienced? Um, so uh, I shared a lot, and those are a lot of my big blemishes. But um, while I have been victim, made victim, I should say, uh, to attacks of people or words or whatever it might be throughout my life, I do know that God has created me to be an emboldened leader. That when I was faking confidence, I actually had a source of confidence that I wasn't tapping into. Um, and I know that he hasn't created me or any one of us to be a victim, right? But that in the power that we gain through acknowledging the things that have happened to us, that through allowing ourselves to be broken by him and acknowledge our brokenness that has happened to us, there is freedom and there is power. So, thanks for letting me share. Wonderful. It's easier to sit down there and listen to these things. You're always almost crying, I feel like. Wow, thank you both, Tracy and Frankie, for being so real. Um, if you are still interested in sharing your story, um, we have room. There's a sign-up sheet at the Info Center. You can talk to any one of the pastors. Um, we'll get you on the list and make sure you get to share your story. And I agree with Tracy. What Tracy said is true. Uh, you should write it down. Even if you feel like, man, I could never get up there and do this, <laughs> still write it down. It's still worth doing. Ushers, if you would, um, please come and pass the notes out. So we are going to talk about the book of Judges. Wow. I know that most of you have been reading through that um, often. Not. You've not been reading through that often. Um, the book of Judges is complicated. There's a lot going on in this book. Um, but before we do that, I want to 
kind of summarize where we've been. Um, uh, most recently, Pastor Glenn has been teaching from Joshua. And if you were here two weeks ago, uh, pre-Ice Storm 2018, you know that he exercised his uh, SLPP, his senior lead pastor privilege, and turned a one uh, sermon on Joshua into a miniseries. And so there's going to be more Joshua to come when he gets back, because many of you wanted to hear the rest of it. He got through part of that great message, and so you are going to get to hear the rest of it when he returns. But this week will be Judges. Next week we'll hear Ruth, or um, about Ruth in chapter 9 of your storybook. Um, and then uh, the following week, Pastor Glenn will be back. So as you're doing your reading, uh, Judges this week, and then Ruth for next. What we've covered so far, uh, creation in the fall. We've covered um, God building a nation. We've covered Joseph and his, his uh, path from slavery to being Pharaoh's right-hand man. Uh, the Israelites' deliverance from slavery. We've covered uh, new commands, a new covenant, um, and then we covered wandering, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, and then most recently, Joshua. And so today we're going to talk about Judges. And, uh, you know, admittedly, Judges is not a book I've spent a lot of time studying out up until getting ready for this week. And, and there's some, I think, some really heavy things to wrestle with in it, but I also think that there's some real application uh, from this ancient book that we can take home from today. So I want to show you this map. I like maps. And this one is, I think, really good. It shows you what God had done through Joshua's, Joshua's leadership. The green is what territory they had conquered up until this point. So they were walking in what God had prophesied. They were taking the land. The land that had been spied out, they were taking it at this point. This is where they were covering. So things were good. And we think that, a little bit about the book of Judges. We think that it was written about 1,000 A.D., but in the terms of the timeline, I think it's over, do we don't have that one out today? I think we're at about, oh yeah, there we are. We're just past 1400 BC. So the book, scholars think, was written a few hundred years later. Um, but the, so the events occurred about 1400, but it was written about 1000 BC. And we think it was written by Samuel, but nobody knows. Our best guesstimates say it was written by Samuel. And we also think it covered about a period of three or 400 years. So um, if you do the math, when you read through the book and it talks about and the, they rested for 80 and so-and-so was in charge for 20, it comes out to between three or 400. All right, so I want to give you an overview. I want to give you a summary of some of these judges and what they did, and I want to give you some take-home points. That's my pretty basic outline. I hope it's helpful to you. If you have your Bible... And so this is not me telling you what to do, but this is telling you something that's been helpful to me. As you're reading this book over the course of the week, and then you're spending time in this book, I've been bringing this book to church on Sunday. And full disclosure, this message was prepared with an electronic Bible too. So I'm not like going tisk tisk if you have your phone out. No, no. Use the electronic Bible, use this Bible, use both. But I found it helpful to be able to see where the, the, the teacher's been, and then be able to flip through it and mark it up or whatever. So if that's helpful to you, you might want to do it. Um, but if, so if you have one, pull it out, Judges 2. Um, I'm going to read, I'm reading from the ESV version of the Bible. It says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I will say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. The people will be thorns, and their gods, their religion will be a snare to you. So, we see here God calling out his people and saying, look what was happening under Joshua's leadership. We were taken over the land, but you didn't finish the job. Even towards the end of Joshua's life, they didn't finish the job. And he's saying, uh, you, you, he told, I told you to break down their altars, but you have not obeyed. So the conquest is incomplete. As a result of their disobedience, now they're going to have to deal with these religions and deal with this people, thrown in the side. Is there an application there? Are we obeying fully? 
I, one of the Bible teachers I listen to, he, listen to, he says, heart check. Where am I at with obedience? Am I following this book like I need to? Not perfectly. Uh, Frankie's testimony talks about we're not trying to be perfect, right? God knows we're not perfect, but where's our heart at? Is our heart in a position of obedience to God? Because there's consequences, as we see here, if it's not. So we're going to move on to Judges 2, verse 10. This one says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Two generations. Everything that's happened on that map is all of a sudden like gone and forgotten. These people have, I mean, think of what they've been through. And this is the beautiful part about how we're studying this year is we've seen what they've been through. We've seen what God has done. We've seen his faithfulness. They're checking out. I know part of why, as a teaching team, we embrace this idea of going through the story this year is because when we researched it, we learned that it was the people who had been through it before were saying, man, I'm falling in love with my Bible. I feel like I can enjoy the Word in, in a much different way than I ever have. And so that's why we're doing this this year. Is because not because we want to say we checked the box and we did the story, you know, what's the next program? We want you to fall in love with your Bible. Because we know this is happening in America right now. People are substituting other things for the written word of God, the spoken word of God, the, 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 the living word of God, the word that never returns void. They're substituting things for that. And we see here in the Old Testament two generations and they've forgotten. But what does he do? He's a creative, loving God who never gives up on us. He's a compassionate God. And what he's decided to do is raise up judges. So skip over to chapter 2, verse 16 through 19. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So, man, there's a lot here. But the first thing I want to draw out is please see your Heavenly Father's heart. Please see that response of his people suffering. And what happened? He was moved to pity, the word says. He, he's not unaware of what you're going through in this moment. Someone said, man, there's like been three good sermons preached this morning. Four. Tim had one. Lance had one. Tracy and Frankie. One of the four of them talked about God reaching down into your mess and and. He is moved by, with, by pity uh, to your heart. Um, so respond to that today. So that's the first thing, and, and especially as we're going through the Old Testament, a lot of like um, prescriptive teaching. So like in the New Testament, we can read something and it says, it says this, so do this. You know, children obey your parents. That's very prescriptive. The Old Testament, things are more descriptive, okay? It's a different style of writing. But w- as we study the Old Testament out, Please be sure and understand this side of knowing your Father's heart, your Heavenly Father's heart. But the second thing here is we just see a people that is just distracted and caught by the thorny relationships they have and the snares of these other gods. It's, it's like maddening almost to see it happen on repeat throughout this text. So now he decides to test his people. Judges 2, 21 and 22. It says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or did not. So he allows this test to happen. Like, they didn't finish the job, and so we see him allowing this test to take place to see, are you going to serve me or not, is what what the text says. And let's see how they respond. And this is one of the examples, but as I'll say now and I'll say it again, it happens on repeat throughout the book. Chapter 7 uh, of chapter, I'm sorry, verse 7 of chapter 6. 
And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. And then what happened after that? They rebelled again. On display, on repeat, it's a period of rebellion, or apostasy is another word. They, they turn from the religion they know. And then what happens next is oppression. Then they suffer. They cry out. And then God is moved with pity. He raises up a judge and a deliverer that comes and heals them. And he only heals and is able to, or heals, uh, frees them. And he's only able to do so because God is with him, like we just read, or her in one of the cases. And then there's a period of rest, and they become bored or distracted or whatever it is, and they compromise again. This is the same story throughout the whole period of the judges, over and over and over. One commentator I read said, the monotony of Israel's sin can easily be contrasted with the creativity of God's deliverance. So you've got this like same thing happening over and over, and in contrast, God finds new amazing ways to heal them or deliver them or whatever the case. So this is challenging for me. This is just like a struggle to think about applying this, to think about God and, and all that's happening in the book of Judges. Um, and yet I can see his big picture story of being in relationship with his covenant people, being faithful to them, and, and staying with them throughout the whole story. Another aspect of Judges that I think we need to talk about um, is just this book contains some of the most graphic, violent, and disturbing things in the whole Bible. So some of you, if you didn't read it, you're going to read it this week now. And you, you won't be let down, I promise. Um, a couple examples. Within like the first two pages, Adani Bezek gets his thumbs and toes cut off. Um, Ehud, um, one of the pagan kings, gets shivved by Eglon with a knife. Ehud was a big guy, or Eglon was a big guy, and Ehud was one of the judges, and he sneaks in and, and, and sticks him with a knife, and they leave him in the back room, as his servants do, because they think he's in the washroom. They find him later, like disgustingly later, because they left him go that long, because they thought he was just in the bathroom by himself. Um, and then lastly, um, um, uh, one of the leaders, Sisera, gets a tent peg, driven through his head by a woman. Okay, so like this is not PG-13. And, and I know we're in church. This is the real stuff that's happening here. And, and we serve the Prince of Peace, right? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Like this is not convenient truth. And yet it's part of God's upper story. It's part of what we're, we're, we're called to know and understand and see his hand is. It's difficult, okay? So, and I'm only through chapter 5 at that point, but I'll stop giving you examples. Um, so let's think, like, kind of put that in your mind right now as we're talking this through. And, and I want to walk through some of the judges in their lives. And if you did your reading, you're going to have some of this. Uh, it's going to be familiar. But first, the list. Here was all 13 judges. Um, some commentators would add uh, Samuel as the last judge. So let's say there was 14 because he was kind of like in that period between judges and the kings. Um, but for our list today, we're going to use 13. And I want to pop that map back up, if we could, Josh, and show this is the territories that they covered. So Samson towards the bottom, we're going to talk about him. We already talked about Othniel. Um, we're going to talk about Gideon, and then uh, Barak, and then Deborah was down here. So first we'll do Deborah. She's the easiest. Um, I did say she, and Deborah does mean a woman. Um, in a time when women didn't have a lot of power, Deborah was a godly woman who was a, the only example of all 13 judges to really be described as such in the word. Um, I think that's interesting. I, th I think that for those that would want to limit uh, to too to, to heavy of a degree what a woman's voice could speak in your life, I think that's a challenge. 
The men all had tons of flaws. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure she wasn't perfect, but I'm saying her life in the text is highlighted by her godliness. I think that matters. Um, she was one of five prophetesses in the Old Testament. So God used her voice as one of the five prophetesses in the Old Testament. She was the wife of Lapidus, so she was married. And she was one of, one of the leaders God raised up. What I wrote here is she was a godly woman and a person of great influence in her time. It's powerful. should be encouraging all the women here today. Um, uh, she uh, challenged Barak. And I, I, the verse I had here was from Judges 4.14. Um, it said, And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So they already had the promise. And Deborah used her influence to say, come on, let's go. Take your men. Go fight the battle. Go win. Doesn't God go before you? And what Barak does is says, well, I'll go if you go with me. And then she responds to him and says, I'll go with you. But just so you know, you're not gonna, we're not going to hang your picture up after this war uh, because the real uh, hero, so to speak, is going to be Jael because she's the aforementioned uh, tent peg lady. She's going to take down that king and create the period of rest. Um, and so Barrett goes because of Deborah's influence. So she got the best out of the military leader at the time by using her influence. So that's our first example of one of the judges. There's so much we could go into here, but for the sake of time, we've got to keep moving. Wow, we do got to keep moving. Um, the next one um, is Gideon. And Gideon is, I describe him as a reluctant leader who influences people for good and bad. So here things become a little bit murkier. Okay, the Gideon I know is, is, have studied out is kind of the Rudy Rudiker version, right? He's the guy from the smallest and the least, right? God calls him out. And we can all see ourselves as that. And we should. Like, we should see that God's saying, it's not that you're so special, Gideon. It's because I love you. It's not going to be by your strength. It's going to be by my strength. And that's like the, the, the side of, that, uh, of Gideon that we could say, well, he's kind of like a hero. I can, I, I can elevate him in my mind. Um, but at the same time, we find out later that in Judges 6, and these verses won't come up, but first he demands a sacrifice be burned. And then God does it. And then the next time he demands that God fills a fleece with water and make the ground dry. And then God does it. He rings out a whole bowl of water with the one fleece. And then subsequent to that, he says, okay, God, make the fleece dry and the ground wet. And God does it. So like, at some point, are you saying, like, you're thinking as a parent, like, are you going to obey me or not? Like, doesn't God lose his patience? But he doesn't. So we see a lot of weakness in Gideon, too. And I'm saying to you that that's important because sometimes we might say, hey, Gideon's my hero. And in some ways, he can be, but he's a flawed hero. So we have to see him through the eyes of, of God as, as his power and his strength. Um, and also, the other side of it is we might say, hey, we're nothing. But we can see that God moved through Gideon, so he can use us too. At the end of Gideon's life, Judges 8.27, it says, And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in the city, in Oprah. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Back to the old religions, pagan religions. For, for all of his good, he then led his people into some bad time during that period. All right, the last one that we'll talk about before we bring this thing in for landing Samson. Samson was a man of great strength and also great weakness. So the sanitized version of Samson is the one that I grew up with. Anybody felt bored Sunday school? You wanted to be the kid that got to take the hair off? Come on, please, please. And usually it was the kid who was visiting that day. My parents always took me to church. My mom did. Like, come on. I didn't get to be that kid. But, but that Samson... Uh, Judges 14, he tore a line in half with his bare hands and then came back later and scooped some honey out of it. Judges 15, he ties 300 foxes tail to tail and sets them on fire in a Philistine field. He strikes down a 1,000 men, Judges 15, 5, with, with the jawbone of a donkey. So big, powerful Samson that then runs into evil Delilah is the one that I knew. And that mean, evil, dirty Delilah, she's the one that caused the problem, Right? What's he doing there, men? What's he doing with the Philistine women in the first place? Because she wasn't the first. She was number three, and she was never his wife. 
He was married to one first, which was, was not following his Nazarite vow. But then he went and walked in with a prostitute. And then one version says he loved another woman, and that was Delilah. So, like, we didn't cover that when we had the felt board and the hair coming off. Right? So it's not right. It's not right. Like, like we want Samson to be the hero, the powerful one, and he was when God was with him. But it's like a conflicted thing, you know? And the difficult part about this is Hebrews 11 Hebrews 11 has Samson and Gideon as heroes of the faith, right? That can be hard if you're not seeing the upper story. If you want to make your Gideon fathead poster for your bedroom or your Samson one, you're missing something. We, got, we, we need one poster. It's a Jesus Christ poster. We need one hero. It's Jesus Christ. So at the end of Samson's life, we, we see her story of redemption and maybe even some foreshadowing. A Judges 16, 28 Samson, one last time, calls to the Lord and says, Oh, Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh, God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And so, like, you know, the picture you get is he pushes over the temple. God gives him strength, and then he goes to his death and takes down the Philistines with him. So perhaps a foreshadowing of, of, of Jesus and, and his hands on the cross. So the first application here for me, and I'm being real because there might be people here or listening that aren't church kids with felt boards that would say, how does your God, how does your God fit into this gory book? And I think it fits with that he can be the God of our whys and hows, okay? So let me first read something from Eugene Peterson. In his intro to the book of Judges, he says it this way, sex, violence, rape, and massacre, brutality and deceit do not seem to be congenial materials for us in developing the story of salvation. Given the Bible's subject matter of God and salvation, living well and loving deeply, we quite naturally expect to find in its pages leaders for us who are good, noble, honorable men and women showing us the way. So it's always something of a shock to enter the pages of Judges and find ourselves immersed in nearly unrelieved mayhem. Okay, so we want to be real. Real people, real God, real church. This stuff happened. It was real. And we can't just put it in a box. Anybody have an unanswered why question today? Why is my child doing this? Why is my wife doing this? Why, why are there people getting their heads lopped off? If, if you're such a loving God and they're standing up for you overseas, why is that happening? If you have a communion answer for that, I want to hear it. I don't think there's a real communion answer for that other than pure, pure suffering. But like, it, does, it doesn't feel convenient, <laughs> anything about that. So violence now, violence then. Like, I feel like if we sit here and say, I'm not going to worship God because I can't line up how a, a peaceful God would allow these things to happen or, or how, the, how there could be evil, I think this is a way to use judges and apply it. What else do we know about God? He's moved with pity, okay? He responds to our groanings. So if you have an unanswered why and how question, remember who and remember what he's done. Again, one of the four messages that was preached earlier, they talked about remembering what God had done in your life, being able to look back and say, what has he done? Well, the greatest miracle of all is not getting healing. The greatest miracle of all will always be the miracle of salvation. Amen? We were going this way, and he sent us that way. So if you have that testimony, you can look back on at least one thing and say, God is faithful to me. If you're here and unsaved, this voice from him right now to you is your miracle. You're hearing this message. You've gotten to hear four people already before me tell you about the great love and how Jesus Christ has changed their lives. So that's a faithful God, people. That's a God that you can give your wives and house to him and have them be unanswered and know that he's safe. He's trustworthy. He's worthy. Number two, I would say, application, um, is it relates to our hero worship. Like, who are our heroes? Okay, musicians, athletes, pastors. Pastors should be good heroes, shouldn't they? You might argue that the judges could fit in the category of religious leaders. Pretty flawed group of people. And yet, God can still use them. In, in, in Hebrews, they're still described as heroes of the faith. I think that's difficult. I think it's really difficult. Um, a, a personal example from my life. Um, in 2006, a religious leader very prominent, that we had gotten close with. Like, I had been many conversations with him, phone relationship, text relationship, fell. 
fell and caused a ton of pain and suffering in his family's life, his church life, had to leave his church. I could go on with more and more details. I remember sitting in our office, those Allison and I, before the girls were born, and I remember just being like shaken, texting people and is this really happening? And like what God did in his mercy was shine a light on my selfishness and he shined a light on the fact that I had put this guy, there's Jesus and there's this guy. In his mercy, he did that. And he did that by all of a sudden asking me to pray for his family. I was so focused on what this guy's fall was going to mean to what I believed and how I had gotten behind him. And by the Holy Spirit just saying, just like on my heart saying, you should pray for the family. So we started praying for the family, Allison and I. And in that moment, it just broke. It just is like, I have got to repent. Jesus, I am sorry. <laughs> I have expected this guy to be you. Our heroes aren't perfect, right? That's why we can never have a human hero. There's one hero. There's one king. His name is Jesus. He's got to be our hero. And so the last thing I'll say is, is obedience, okay? It has to do with obedience. Um, I think Judges teaches us a lot about the consequences of disobedience. And remember, it's a loving father who's always moved to pity by our groanings. But I feel like we all today have to ask ourselves, is there an area of disobedience in our life? Um, and kind of linking that to, to um, the idea of hero worship, um, there's been a couple great articles uh, written recently, one by Andy Crouch and one by Beth Moore, uh, two people who are prominent in, 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 as leaders in the Christian church. And they both said, People know, you know. And one of the things, Beth Moore, Beth Moore has a, a bunch of adoring fans. I'm sure she does. But what she says keeps her anchored is a husband that has no time for pretense, that calls it out. And she says, you know what else keeps her anchored? Her local church. She knows that I'll always have a place to serve my local church. So if God st- decides to stop using my ministry, that's okay. My gifts can be used in the local church. Very powerful. Very powerful. And it, to me, it's like a, a, a commendation for me to you to say, get involved in our local church. We have a wonderful church. And we're not exclusive. We want you to go to some studies at High Point and have, meet some people there and invite the people in your neighborhood over to your house for a Bible study. It's not just like we're a, a cul-de-sac church here. We are city church-minded people. So part of what will keep you away from worshiping a man or a woman would be having a good local church to speak into your life. So as the band comes back, we're going to start to close here. I want to also uh, always seek Jesus in every book of the Old Testament, okay? And so we think about ultimate deliverer. Is it not Jesus Christ? It totally is. He's our ultimate deliverer, perfect life, um, freed from sin, freed from bondage, and not just in heaven but now. We can be free now. We can walk in freedom now just like Paul did, worshiped in jail, um, he was able to be free and, and full of joy. So he is our deliverer. He's also our judge. Romans fourteen ten through 11 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So the idea of a judge, again, plays out with Jesus. The difference is this judge not only wants to see you and see himself in you, he sacrifices life for you. So he's saying, yeah, you're going to stand before me, but you can have my righteousness. You can have what I've done for you without doing anything. And again, this has been sung so well this morning and played out through all the, the testimonies. Um, it's just so true, church. If we remember one thing about the book of Judges, Remember that you do have a judge that died for you. And you get to have his righteousness. And you have a deliverer that can deliver you from wherever you are today. So stand, if you would, with me. I know we've gone a little bit long today. But really not too bad, given the bonus material, right? Um... And so if you close your eyes and bow your head, I want to give people a chance to respond because I want to pray for you. If, if, If you would be here today and you would say, man, I have elevated someone and I I do feel like 
such and such a musician or such and such an actor or whatever. You know, they're, they're a Christian person. I feel like I've made too much of them. Or you would say, I have wanted to run from God because this all doesn't make sense to me. I don't think he's worthy of my trust. Or maybe you would say, you would say, I'm being disobedient. I know what's in the Bible, but I'm running. I'm not responding. I, I, I heard uh, Allison is uh, leading us in the study at our home, and it, the quote from the author says, Obedience displays a loving relationship with God and a desire to honor him. Obedience is so powerful. So if you'd hear, be here today and you'd want to respond, yes, pray for me in any one of those areas. Please lift your hand. I just want to pray for you real quick now. Yeah, thank you, Lord. If you're also here today and you'd say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, but I want to know more about him. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and then I'm going to ask you to come find me after church. I want to pray with you. I'm going to do a little different today. Or find one of the pastors at the side. Our pastoral team is at the side. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. And if you want to go pray with someone, that'll be up to you to do that if you want. So if you're here today and say, I don't know Jesus, but I want to know more about him, raise your hand now. All right. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship a little bit more, and then I'll come back up and close this off. Father, I'm so thankful that as we have gathered today uh, across the nation um, through the online stream that, that you've given us this powerful book, that you've revealed your heart to us as a God who responds when we groan and you have pity on us. And you've made it clear, like you've given us your word, you made it clear, you want us to obey. So I pray that for anyone here who would say that, that man, I'm just not obeying like I know I need to. That, 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 that heart of pity, that, that you'd reveal that to them in a fresh way. Or if they'd say that, man, I've made someone else or some, I've made some part of your creation, God, uh, higher than, than you. You're the creator. I pray that you would come near to them in your tender, loving way. I just ask you to move, Father, right now as we respond in this next song, just move in our hearts. Jesus' name, amen. If you want to know more about life lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church. P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin, 53744.